You're watching the Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. Welcome into the Sports Objective really big show tonight. In fact, uh, I know Matt's got other things going on. Bubba, I know you're going to be, you're, uh, you're playing injured, well, playing hurt. If you were injured, you wouldn't be able to play. But um, I know you've got a little bit of a voice left. You're a pirate and you're going to push through as much as you can. Thanks for coming on, man, tonight. And uh, got a great show with Ted Pardee. Yeah, two great guests tonight are kicking the show off uh, with Ted Pardee. Um, obviously, the the Houston Cougar um, color analyst, but he also has a son that plays for the TCU Horn Frogs. Um, the Frogs playing for a national title against the Georgia Bulldogs. So we'll talk about that, and I'm sure a whole lot more. And then in the second half hour, we'll be joined by Corey Glor. Um, you know what a game that was for Corey to call the Cotton Bowl uh, thrilling comeback win for Tulane over USC. Note about it. Hey, Ted, uh, welcome in. Um, I was thinking about you with uh, that win and uh, being a dad, a son on a team. And Bubba was like, he he said, I'm going to invite. I said, great minds think alike. Uh, how are things <laughs> going? And I know that you guys are getting ready for a big game on Monday night. It's just hard to believe surreal you guys are there, but so happy for you. Yeah, no, thanks, Dave. Bubba, thank you, too. You know, uh, look, you guys are dads. Like we are all the same when it comes down to it. I mean, we uh, we all love sports and we all love being dads. Our kids are, you know, I know you guys are active in the lives of your kids. I certainly was when my kids were little and I am to this day. Uh, Luke's my youngest. He's a backup quarterback at TCU. He's a junior. And uh, what an exciting thing for him and his teammates. You know, they, they uh, you know, they were the – kind of the underdog uh, going into the Fiesta Bowl. I think pretty much everybody else thought that the the that the uh, Michigan Wolverines were going to put it on them, you know, put a little bit of that Big Ten business on them. I don't think they quite understand what what, uh, what we talk about in the South when we're talking about team speed, you know, and, and team speed is something that I know you guys know really well with, you know, ECU's always got some great team speed. Houston, you know, the – my alma mater always tries to bring in some speedy guys, but TCU has kind of done a really good job of uh, a couple of the key positions out there, running back, DB, uh, and wide receiver. You're going to find it uh, – you'll, you'll find it hard to find a team that's got that much depth and speed at those positions. Yeah, I was uh, – I tell you what, uh, the, it's funny to me. I know we've talked about it before, but love the idea of the 12-team playoff coming. And I heard people Absolutely. talking about it's funny, even the day of the they were gonna announce the teams, I heard TC I want to get your uh, thoughts on this, by the way. I heard um, TCU does not deserve to be there. They didn't even win the Big 12 championship. <laughs> and I said, and I, I know you're a dad, but I looked at that film. I was listening to that game on the championship game on the radio, but I still believe he was in. I still believe that they got that touchdown, and I don't want to spend the whole show on that. But they hear the, and I said, well, regardless, even if they, okay, they lost the game, right? I said, they deserve to be there. 
I heard Alabama deserves to be there. And I'm like, how does Alabama deserve it over TCU when, okay, they lost the, let's say the big 12 championship, but they've had an amazing year. And the thing yeah. that's frustrated for me, Ted, is the fact that I love college football and I think the powers that be get in, in their own way. And so I'm hoping that yeah. 24, 24, I'm still skeptical that we're going to 12. I know they say that we are, but um, I hope <laughs> yeah. that we are. But I want to get your feelings on on that because TCU proved that we need a 12-team playoff. There's a lot of great teams yeah. out there that deserve to have a, a chance. You're right, Dave. I, you know, and and uh, no, I know that I know the touchdown you're talking about there. I was I was in Dallas at that game, uh, real close to the uh, to that to the end zone on that side of the stadium. Um, real tough uh, camera shot, obviously. To kind of fuzzy, looked like he was over, but you know it's hard to tell it was his knee down. But that was a tough loss, and and considering they were undefeated through the season, uh, had a couple of just heroic. Uh, game-ending victories. The Baylor game comes to mind where they had no timeouts. They literally had about, you know, under a minute. They're running down to about 30 seconds on the clock, no timeouts. They they run the ball, hustle off the field, get the kicking team on. Everybody's seen it and uh, and just absolutely nail that, that field goal to win the game. But that's kind of how the whole season has gone. And then you got to take a step back and realize that, you know, Max Duggan, their quarterback, he didn't start the season at, the, at, at quarterback. He was not the starter in, in game one. He had lost his starting job to right. Chandler Morris. Chandler Morris, uh, who was a, a Chandler Morris, was a transfer from Oklahoma, and uh, a, a fantastic quarterback. Incredible arm, great legs, just the total package. Uh, you know, he, Chandler won the job in the in the summertime, and then their first game against Colorado, uh, Chandler had an MCL injury, and so. Uh, you know, how lucky can you be as a program when you got a backup quarterback who's been a starter for three years and it's just like, you know, it, it was like the old, you know, the old West, the old shooter coming out there and, and just taking care of business. And that's what Max Duggan did all season long. The dude is just a, he's just a warrior. No doubt about it. And the, uh, I'm, I'm just really excited for you. I'm excited for uh, TCU. And what's funny is I'm still hearing Ted, it's like I feel like you guys are Rodney Dangerfield. You're not getting any respect when it comes <laughs> to TCU because I'm still hearing the talking heads saying, okay, well, they beat Michigan, but Georgia's really good. And I'm going, well, um, have you seen any of the TCU games? They're really good too, and there's a reason why they're there. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think the um, – you know, it's – the, the Big 12 doesn't help itself. I'll I'll just say that. Like, you know, they – Every year, it seems like Texas gets overhyped, uh, and we've talked about them through the years. You know, they get preseason; they're always a top five team, and oh, Texas, Texas, and and then Texas lays an egg, and so the rest of the country is just like, yeah, the Big Twelve is a joke. And what made it worse to me this year, Dave, was that you know Oklahoma was had a bad year; they you know a rare bad season for them, and uh, I'm sure that Brent Venables will get it turned around up there. But you know, so people just kind of. If after you look at Texas and Texas and and uh, Oklahoma, you're kind of like, oh, who's left? Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor. Like, come on, you know they don't get the the national recognition. And and the reality is, it's a it's a it's a great conference. It is a true Power Five conference with, that you know schools beat each other up. Um, but it's one of those conferences where any team can step out and be the one that that takes you know takes the championship. Unlike the Big Ten and unlike the Pac-12 and unlike a lot of conferences. 
the a the ACC, you know, you kind of know going into the season in all those conferences who who's going to be the who are the top two teams. Every year they say it's Texas and Oklahoma and the Big Twelve, but those two teams haven't been relevant for the past three years. So, you know, I'm happy for TCU. They're going to always they're going to be the underdog this week again, and uh, you know their players are going to. Hey, they're going to use that as a chip on their shoulder and, and uh, you know, use it to get themselves fired up to go out there and try to get a win. No doubt about it. So your son being TCU, I know your other son is going, I uh, was at Houston, but now you yeah. got a little bit of like stuff to talk about at Thanksgiving, right? You're because both <laughs> Houston and TCU are going to be in the same conference. They are, they are, and they will play each other next year. So that will be, uh, that'll be an interesting day for me as a, uh, as I will be doing the radio for the University of Houston again, as uh, as I've done for the past 17 years, I'm, I might sneak in a, a purple hat. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, purple is now, uh, and you guys will like this. Purple's now my second favorite color, so that's good. You know, it's, it's TCU's purple, so it's a little bit different than East Carolina, but uh, but no, it'll it'll be a great moment for me. You know, it, it, I was telling a friend that you know uh, when I was in college. I didn't get recruited by my dad's alma mater. My dad was an All-American at Texas A&M. My dad played for Bear Bryant and uh, was one of the Junction Boys back in the 1950s. There's a, a movie that was made about those guys. And it was really kind of a bummer that, you know, I was a good, a good high school player, whatever, but I didn't get recruited by Texas A&M. I did get recruited by Houston, though. And uh, I went to Houston. And the best part for me was when my dad and I walked out onto A&M's field and we're able to kind of look up at the empty stadium and look at the stands, knowing that, you know, I had a chance to play a, a couple games there. The best part was when we beat them my senior year, beat Texas A&M, and, and uh, we're able to kind of, kind of finally say, yeah, we did it. You know, my son and I, Luke, kind of had the same thing next year when he can walk out onto the Houston field or, and, and look up as, as the, the stands. And he was a kid going there when running around on the field pregame and all that. So it'll, it'll be a neat experience for us together. Hey, Ted, before we talk about what lies ahead just a few days from now against the Georgia Bulldogs and take us back, um, I guess, what, a about a year or so ago now, a little over a year when, when this high was made, Sonny Dykes coming from across town. Uh, of course, you had that rivalry between SMU and TCU, the battle for the iron skillet. And uh, obviously, um, uh, expectations were high, but to do something like this in year one is, is just incredible uh, because the, what the Horned Frogs were picked, what, seventh in the Big 12? Seventh, yeah, that's right. You know, uh, it, it, it football is uh, is like a big family, is the, and I think you guys get it too. Like, you know, football is a family. There are guys in, in North Carolina that have been at multiple schools. Um, Texas is a lot like that, you know. So you take a guy like Sonny Dykes, you know, when I was in college, his dad, Spike Dykes, was the head coach at Texas Tech. You know, my dad was the coach at the University of Houston for three of the four years that I was in school. So Sonny and I are the same age. Uh, my dad took a year out of football and lived in West Texas for a year. We lived in Midland. He was in the oil business. Sonny's dad was a high school coach in the town. I remember meeting his dad, you know, when I was an eighth grader. Um, that's to me what football is all about. Football is about people and it's about families. And, uh, and, and, you know, Sonny's, I, I, I actually, my older son went to one of Sonny's camps when he was the head coach at Cal. And, uh, you know, he was, he was keeping an eye on my son, uh, back in those days. And, uh, I remember seeing Sonny out there and, and catching up with him and, 
you know, Sonny's the kind of guy that he's a, he's a, he's a great CEO leader. He is a, he is a guy that has the vision of both offense and defense. Sure. He was an offensive coach. He worked for coach Leach uh, and, and God rest coach Leach's soul. He, he did so much for Sonny to get him Sonny, his first few opportunities, but Sonny is definitely the kind of guy that you can get behind and support. Uh, he, he just, he, he's a friend, but he's also somebody I think of, I admire him so much for the way that he's handled the transition. Uh, he left Cal, came to actually to TCU as a, as a, a volunteer analyst and uh, stayed at TCU for a year, got to know, uh, you know, the, some of the guys there. And that allowed him to get rebounded and back into head coaching over at SMU. They did a great job at SMU. Uh, hate to say it, they beat TCU two years ago at TCU. That was a tough loss. Uh, but it showed you that Sonny was a great coach, a great man. Organizationally, like the guy knows how to run a team and run a program. And he did it. He turned that place around at SMU, did a great job. So when, when TCU decided to part ways with Coach Patterson, who's another icon, another incredible coach in the state, um, I'm glad they chose Sonny. I'm glad they chose a guy like Sonny who, who has ties to the, uh, North Texas, has ties to the state of Texas. He comes from a football family, and he's got that respect instantly, instant respect as he walks in the door. He doesn't have to be Coach Patterson. Coach Patterson is a legend. Uh, so he didn't have to be that. He could be himself and be his own guy. And I think that's what's been so great about uh, getting all the players to, to turn the page and then buy in. Because when you inherit somebody else's roster, you're really it takes a couple of years to get all of your guys in there. So you got to really do something with that team. Uh, and, and I think all the players have bought in to what Coach Dykes wants to do and, and the assistant coaches. They've got a great strength coach named Kaz Kazadi, who's an incredible coach as well. So can't say enough positive things about that, that program. And I'm glad my son's uh, with the, with the Horn Frogs. I know a lot of our viewers right now are saying, Dave, why wouldn't you ask Ted about the game? So let's talk about the, the national championship game. Uh, I'm feeling good for you guys. Maybe I should like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm overconfident, but I feel like you guys are in the best position because when it's like the storybook uh, season, Nobody's giving you a chance, so that you can. It's like a snake; you sneak up on them, and yeah. uh, you guys, I think, will play very well. But what what are the keys to the game for you? What are the storylines you're looking at? Well, I think I think you've got interesting matchup of uh, of a fast defense against a fast offense, and uh, the defensive backfield at Georgia is uh, it looks like a, it, to me it looks like a track team. To be totally honest with you, um, you can't go vertical on them. Uh, they, they've got too much speed. They've got a, a, a couple safeties that are, uh, they're great run support guys, but they're incredibly quick and can get over the top. So TCU's game has been a lot of over the top passive, like, uh, having a, you know, you look at some of the big games they had this year, it was because they were able to exploit that, that, that safety that gets sucked in with the run game and the RPO game over and over and over. And all of a sudden you pull that ball and, Oh, guess what? He's open over the top. Right. That's the kind of offense they've had. So they're going to have to do a little bit more of the crossers. They're going to have to do a little bit more of the uh, getting players into, into uh, zone situations, try to get that defense out of their man coverage. Um, and the only way you can do it is by beating the man coverage. They're going to, they're going to play man to man. They'll play two men high. So, uh, you know, I, but I think again, if, if, if you just look at TCU's talent, you know, TCU averages 41 points a game, you know, the Bulldogs average, 39 points a game. 
I think offensively they can hang with each other. Uh, so then it's just going to come down to defense. And, uh, you know, that, that TCU defense that Michigan tried to tried to scoff at, they said, oh, it's a 3-3-5. It's, you know, it might be good for the Big 12. It's not good for power. Well, I think they proved they can handle that offense and that running game just fine. So then it's a matter of matchups. And, and uh, so, uh, you know, no prediction, no predictions, Dave, but, but I think it's a, it's a good matchup. I think it's, it's going to be a great game. If you saw the game against Michigan, it was a great football game. It was just a good game to watch. Uh, the next, your next interview that uh, I think the best game prior to probably was that uh, Tulane game. I enjoyed that one as well, that Tulane USC game, but, but the the uh, Houston ma- or, uh, sorry the TCU matchup was a good one, and I expect the, the national championship to be the same. Yeah, the play by play voice of the Tulane Green Wave. I know he's backstage. I see him joining in. Corey Glory, Corey will be with you in just a little bit. But man, you guys, uh, one of the things that Matt and I were talking about the last show: forty four points in the third quarter. Are you kidding me? Forty four <laughs> points. How was sometimes that? you got to do that, Dave? Right? You got to. Hey, it, it, sometimes it turns into a little bit of a barn burner and you just got to say, okay, we wanted to keep it in front of us and we wanted to keep, you know, kill the clock, but they're scoring too quick. So we better match it. And and that's the best thing that I can say about this offense is they can play, they can play ball control if they need to. TCU can grind it out. Kendra Miller's their running back there. He got dinged up a little bit, so I can't promise you whether he'll play much this, this game or not, but DeMarcado number three, he's the backup. He averages, you know, about 45 uh, uh, yards per game. And when you look at Georgia's two leading running backs, they average about 55 yards per game, both of them. So, you know, I I think it's going to be just fine for TCU in the running game. Again, the key is going to come down to explosive plays. Can, Can TCU have the three or four or five explosive plays in the game against this Georgia defense like they did against Michigan and how they've done the whole season you know, can they do that this week in the national championship game? You know, after the game, uh, when, when uh, after the Georgia game, that is, uh, when, when Georgia had that comeback against the Buckeyes, uh, you heard what Kirby Smart had to say, and a lot of folks were wondering kind of where that was coming from because he, he had led the comeback and uh, thrown for right at 400 yards. But, um, you know, and, you know, as a former quarterback, you could definitely – I understood where, where Kirby was coming from with some of the mistakes and, uh, and things that Stetson Bennett had failed to capitalize on. Uh, so that's something you – know, and hopefully, um, you know, with me wanting TCU to win, uh, that will happen once, happen once again. Well, and, and Bobby, you know, it's, it comes down to, you know, you've got to have a, a game plan that that is different. You know, so what what a lot of teams will do is they'll watch the tape and they'll say, well, Georgia struggles or TCU struggles with this. Right. So we're going to give them this. Uh, and, and, and pretty much a lot of teams will copy each other. They'll copy each other. They'll figure out what was what was successful. And then they'll kind of do it in their own system or their own way. At this point in the season, everything's out there. Everything's on tape. Uh, the one challenge is that there's been a limited amount of time to watch film Although I can tell you my son has watched every single game that Georgia has played and every defensive play that they've had and have all the quarterbacks. So it's kind of one of these situations where you've got to, yes, do you want to look at what was successful against Georgia? What did Ohio State do that was able to exploit that Georgia defense that's so strong? Sure, you want to, you want to steal some of those thoughts maybe, but you also want to remain true to who you are as an offense. 
And I think you rely on your playmakers. You know, you're, there's a guy that you guys may not know well, but his name's Quentin Johnson. He's a, he's a wide receiver, number one. He'll be a top pick in the NFL this year. He, he is six foot five, you know, 210 pounds, uh, fast as lightning. He was the guy that caught the crosser and then took it to the house uh, by doing a slight stutter step there. Uh, he's going to be a fantastic playmaker in this game. Uh, but also, I think at the running game, again, I'm going to go back to Kendry Miller and Dee Mercado, those two guys as running backs. And even if even if Kendry can't go full speed, you know, they've got a couple other guys that are in the roster there that can play uh, running back. So, hey, man, it's national championship. you got to leave it all on the field, right? Yeah, that was something that was brought up, by the way, Ted. Um, I've heard people talk about it. Should TCU try to do – and I was like, I don't think you should try to do something different. You need to stay yeah. – What's brought you to the party? You know, you need to stay with that. Maybe you have a few wrinkles, but um, I think that sometimes, and they mentioned that some of the radio shows have heard, sometimes coaches overcoach and they try to come up with this scheme and something that'll throw Georgia. You're not going to throw Georgia off. And just like, I don't think TC is going to be thrown off. I think it's going to come down to, I hate to say the cliche, but whoever makes the fewest mistakes, right? I mean, it's that razor thin margin. I think it's a lot closer than what people think. And I think that's what you'll that, that's why both of these teams are are where they are today, right? That because they don't make silly mistakes, they're incredibly well disciplined. Both teams have just awesome discipline. Um, they they execute under pressure. So those third down conversions, you know, those those game winning situations that you have to produce, both teams do that. And that's what it gets me so excited because it's a you know, it's a this is a this is a heavyweight fight i mean this is george foreman muhammad ali man and of course that shows how old i am but i mean it's you know this is a this is a big time fight two great fighters and and uh you know this is what i love about college football too is as a fan is that you know you want to see the the two teams that have have beat the odds to get to where they are today and and uh i think georgia was expected to do well but it's hard to go it's hard to repeat it's hard to be a back-to-back team so nobody, you know, you don't just give it to Georgia at the beginning of the season. They had to go earn it. And for TCU, being picked seventh, being picked seventh in the Big 12 coming out of the year, last week having everybody pick Michigan to win the game, that's, that's, that's perfect. That's exactly what you want. You know, you want everybody against you so that you can prove them wrong. <laughs> no doubt. And um, by the way, Bubba puts up the, the line here, Georgia 12, minus 12 and a half over under 62 and a half. And I'll say this: I knew that the number was a little bit high, but I think that's way too high. Um, it's I moved think down that, a little bit, I think, but it still is pretty pretty high. I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, there was a there's a furniture guy here in Houston, uh, mattress yeah. Mac Jim McInville. He won the biggest bet in Vegas history on the uh, Houston Astros earlier this year, and he, he does it to hedge his business. But he he made a bet on uh, <laughs> he. He made a bet on the on the Horn Frogs, so uh, we'll see how that goes. That's going to be really cool. Now, Ted, off the field, on uh, one of the things that has been in the headlines is how uh, there will be no tailgating. So, so <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? So, that's pretty that. odd. Pretty odd. Uh, no tailgating? I haven't heard about that. No tailgating. You know, it makes me want to say, like, know your audience. Like, who is the customer? The customer's always right, man. Come on. Can you imagine going to UGA and not tailgating before a before a game if right. you're a if you're a dog? Hey, look, if you're a horn frog, 
if you've ever been to TCU, they shut the whole stadium, the whole city down in Fort Worth for TCU games. Those people love their tailgating. I don't know what they're going to do. How they, I'm yeah. really surprised, to be honest with you. Don't yeah. know how they're going to do it. Yeah, you're, you're playing You're playing the biggest game in your program's history, I guess, in the case of TCU. And then in Georgia's case, what I'm, I'm about, you know, one of the top three or four games in your program's history. Exactly. Yeah, I don't it's a national like, championship, man. Come on. Hey, hey, Ted, I was telling you in the green room how we had Pirate fans opt out of going to Birmingham because the bowl was in Birmingham. Um, they would have a legitimate reason if they couldn't tailgate because you know how we love to tailgate in Greenville and how we travel. Absolutely. I can't imagine <laughs> not having a tailgate before a game. That's did they give a reason Crazy. why I haven't heard anything about that. I, I probably because it's an NFL stadium. That's the only thing I can think of there. Who knows? Who knows? It's crazy. Sound, uh, sounds like the uh, sounds like the uh, World Cup soccer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's nuts right now with the men's team. Uh, let's talk. Well, there's a few things. Johnny Robertson said it's difficult to imagine Stetson men is the same age as Josh Kelly and Lamar Jackson. And then there was one more. Yeah. We have a question from Shell. Uh, from the Queen City. He's from Charlotte, North Carolina. Shell's a friend of mine, and he wants to know, does Ted think TCU can go toe-to-toe with that Georgia D-line? That's a tough task for teams all season, and you know Kirby ripped them this week. <laughs> well, hey, great point. And, and uh, you know, I think that it just comes down to getting back to do what you do best as a team, right? TCU is, is – uh, Ball control is a part of what they do. You don't have to just man block everything. You can do, you know, pull and guard, pull and tackle, little uh, counter plays, uh, OT plays, different things to try to isolate those those D linemen and make them think and make them make a choice. Uh, you know, I don't know the game plan specifically, but I know that the TCU has had the ability to do, um, you know, to do some of that type of thing to other schools in the past. Uh, they got a pretty solid uh, veteran offensive line, so uh, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you got to you got to run the ball a little bit, that's for sure. Uh, and don't forget, there's one one secret weapon that they have, and that's Max Duggan. Uh, he is not afraid to run the ball. If you watched any of his games in the past three years, he is a runner. He is absolutely a runner. Uh, incredibly fast, but he's 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 built like a linebacker. He's six two. 225. He is not, he is not soft by any means. He's the, one of the toughest guys that you'll see. Um, So in a pinch, you get that extra blocker and you let the quarterback run and uh, you'll do quarterback counter. You'll do quarterback ISO uh, or, or just quarterback draw. Let, let Max figure it out. And he, he has a funny way of making things happen. That's a fun offense to watch a fun player and Max Duggan, uh, before we let you go, you've been generous with your time. Always, you're so good to us. But being a former football player, uh, the situation on Monday night, Monday night football mm. uh, with Mar Hamlin, I just want to get your thoughts. You're always good to us talking about big, t- big picture things. Yeah. Um, that's one of the hot stories of the week, unfortunately. But I just want to get your take on that, being a former football player. Well, uh, you know, first off, you know, our, our prayers have been with him. And, and I, I read somewhere that he did wake up today. And I, I'm not sure if that's right, but he actually asked, did we win the game, I think? So yeah. praise God and uh, praise the Lord that that's, uh, you know, it, it, hurt, it hurts all of our heart to think about that. It, it, uh, I think we're all human and understand 
how scary that was. Um, football's been a tough sport forever. It's it's always been that way. I remember as a kid when uh, Minnesota Vikings wide receiver Daryl Stingley had broke his neck going over the middle and, uh, you know, was hit by Mel Blunt. And uh, it's it football's a vicious sport. I, I don't know everything that went into the hit. I did see it happen. I was watching the game just like so many. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I've seen far, far more vicious hits than that. I've seen a lot of crazy stuff. Um, you just hope that that he's okay and that that he gets a 100% full recovery. I think the NFL did the right thing. Don't mess around. Cancel the game. Don't, you know, the, the players are humans. I know that they're tough as nails, but they're also humans and they're young men. Give these young men a chance to decompress, get away from the game, go, go home. Don't even think about football for, you know, I'm sure their families are scared to death, their wives, their children. Anytime you see that it's horrible. So I'm happy the NFL handled it the way they did. And, um, you know, praise God. I hope he's doing okay. No doubt. And uh, the only thing I was upset with was uh, that ESP and the ABC kept those announcers on for an hour. Can you imagine if like I was telling you, like as a broadcaster, you have nothing to talk about. And even on the sports objective, we have times when our, the software that we use doesn't work or, you know, we have bad connections or whatever. Right. And so um, I was like, these guys, these men and women don't have anything to talk about. If it's a few minutes, it feels like an eternity. And they did it for over an hour. Um, the same yeah. thing with Scott Van Pelt. I just thought they could do a better job of, um, of putting on like when you have baseball and you have rain delays to put on uh, the best NFL moments or something in broadcasting one-on-one, you definitely want to have something ready because you don't, nobody saw that coming, but you always are going to have some kind of technical difficulties or emergencies. But that was my only thing that I was upset about is I was sitting there going, how long are they going to make these people go on and stay on the air with nothing to talk about? Not that the biggest story was about, obviously with uh, Hamlin, but I just really, as a broadcaster, I was empathizing with them. Yeah. I, I've, uh, and I've been through rain delays. I've been through two five hour rain delays actually. And it was crazy. The first one, Oh, we, we huh, many years ago and we didn't go, we didn't go back to the studio. We had to, we had to talk it out and it was horrible. Um, so we learned our lesson on that one, but um, you know, I think the, what, what it, you know, sort of, the business that we do, the, the broadcasting world that we're in, they plan for everything. And I think what they should do is plan for a catastrophe. In an NFL game, if something happens, what's what's the plan? Because it seemed like they didn't have a plan. And, right. and they were just going to talk. They were just going to talk it out. And I can tell you that just doesn't it, – it, I turned the cha- – I changed the channel. I think a lot of people did. You know, you just – I don't need to see Adam Schefter, you know, acting dramatic. Like, just – you know, it just it wasn't great. It wasn't great TV and it wasn't really great for the fans. It was horrible for the for the players. So I think that hopefully what comes out of this is a little bit of a plan, a, a little bit more of a sort of like a, you know, it's an emergency situation. Here's how we're going to execute it, like build a plan. The NFL should have a plan in place that if that ever happens again, here's what we do. We're going to you know send the guys home, you know, 15, you know, 10 minutes, five minutes, whatever it is, and then end it. Just stop and, and uh, move on. Cause dragging it out, just, it was, it, it wasn't good for anybody. No, it wasn't Ted. We're pulling really hard for you and obviously your son and TCU. Thank you. And uh, Thank good you. luck to them. And uh, will you come back on if they win? Oh, absolutely. Come on. Anytime. 
<laughs> Anytime. Cool. Go Frogs. That's right. Happy New Year to you. Thanks for your generosity. Thanks for your patience tonight. And uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. You bet. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Bubba. Thanks you guys night. are great. Happy right. New Year. Appreciate it, Ted. All right, All right guys. Good night. Bye-bye. Appreciate uh, Ted so much. And now another exciting game. Uh, proud of this guy. Play-by-play -play voice of the Tulane Green Wave. Corey, dude, what's up? How are you? Do you have a voice? Uh, a little bit of one. I'll say that. Sorry, I, I was, uh, as you were still finishing up with Ted, at, we're off to Philadelphia tomorrow for basketball. So I, I'm in uh, I'm in build mode for my for the game Saturday. So, um no, it's it's in better shape than I thought it would be. My throat hasn't been great today, I'll say that. But uh, but I've been powering through with a lot of liquids, a lot of halls, cough drops, and a lot of cold medication. Well, you know how much we think of you. And this was one of the games that I had circled outside of East Carolina um, and Coastal Carolina. This, this matchup, another one that I told people, um, maybe you think I'm an American homer and maybe because we know Corey Glore, um, but Tulane is a really good football team and we love Lincoln Riley because he was at East Carolina, but they better be ready. And I think, um, I think you guys, um, showed the nation and the world how great Tulane is. And I thought, I mean, you have one heck of a coach with Willie Fritz. I loved his post game when he was talking about we're playing for Tulane, but we're playing for the city and the fans. I was just really, he was firing me up and I'm not, you know, I'm not a Tulane guy, but I was like, man, this guy. Um, I really have always liked him as a coach, but I just want to get your thoughts on the game and Coach Fritz and just it's I got it's got to be euphoric in uh, at Tulane right now. It, it still doesn't quite feel real, and honestly. Like I've been on campus the last couple of days, and there's still a, a high around the athletic department. It, it's not just winning the game; it's how they won it. And it's, it's the culmination of, yes, an incredible season, but what you alluded to with Coach Fritz's postgame comments, uh, it, the, it felt like and feels like that the, the city has returned to this place and vice versa. And that's been a long time coming. And so this has been, this has been bigger than just winning a game like that for this school this is this has been pretty transcendent and um to be a small part of it is still dreamlike like it, it i'm still not entirely sure what happened monday um how it happened monday i i mean it's 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 been a complete blur and i wouldn't trade it for anything so how does this team a year ago you guys were two and ten and we were feeling bad for you because we know what it's like and so do you. Uh, football seasons are three and nine, and uh, for three straight years. But you guys have two and ten, and you completely flip it around. I mean, it's amazing to have arguably the best season since what ninety eight with uh, Sean King. The, the, I mean, yeah, that was an undefeated year. Uh, but the the magnitude of this, I think, supersedes that one. Yeah, to win the Cotton Bowl. Um, what's the fans? What are the fans? Have you heard any like on? message boards i mean what are they like right now oh it's delirium here um i think as the season kept unfolding and you know there were early milestone moments you know kansas state you just talked to ted and and winning there uh in overtime in week five and 
So there were early moments that fans jumped onto, but we still, I don't think, had an appreciation of what might be coming yet. I mean, we, we didn't know. Uh, and then you started piling up wins in the middle of the season, and it went from winning at Houston to, all right, you won your second in a row. I believe that was ECU. And then you, you, you go three in a row and four in a row and five in a row all of a sudden, and then you're ranked. Um, and, and it just kept snowballing. It, it kept, it kept, this was so un, uh, unpredictable for anyone outside of that locker room that right now, the fact that, it, you know, I think a lot of fans would have taken the appearance in the Cotton Bowl as like, like, loss you know we lost um the 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 program's heading the right way the fact that it ended with a win and, and an all-timer of a comeback that's going to be in that game's lore forever certainly the school's lore and maybe in college football lore um i mean th- this place uh, i don't think they've had a buzz like this here since honestly about the you know the 30s or the 40s like even that 98 team um, didn't have the same fervor as this one has. And so that it feels like a new day has dawned here. You know, outside the, the game itself, Corey, just leading up to the game, uh, talk about the atmosphere there um, in Arlington and in, in the greater Dallas area uh, with the Cotton Bowl and uh, the, the Tulane fans. Man, did they show up. It was awesome seeing how many Green Wave fans were there at Jerry's World. Well, it definitely sounds like I'm not the only one fighting something with a voice here. So no, not, not at all. I, I need, I guess, what I need, honey, some uh, tea, you know, all kinds of stuff, Corey. Right here. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Hall's cough drops. There you go. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I wasn't able to get a full appreciation of the buildup to it. Uh, I, I was truly only there for about 18 hours. We had basketball at home the day before. And, and so I called the, the win over Memphis on Sunday, and then there was a charter – with about a hundred or so staff that flew out that night to Dallas. And so it, it was frankly, for me, it was about a normal football road trip. It was in the night before it was out right after the game. Um, but the rest of my broadcast team was there for the full week. And the, um, what I heard about just the way the cotton bowl treated this team and this program and the school, like I, I had caught whispers of that from a couple of the broadcasting brethren in this league that have, recently been there dan horde at cincinnati they were there last year uh dave Oloshin in memphis like they were there a few years ago and they said you know it will blow your mind what they do for you there and and it did i mean the just the reaction from people that have come back from dallas since um it, taking it outside the win just what the cotton bowl did i mean when when you're a group of five and you crash the new year six um you don't know what the reception will be. You know, this is our first go around with it. And from everything I heard, uh, it was, it's incomparable. And so the Cotton Bowl was just incredible experience even before the game. Uh, and then, you know, I, I certainly was wondering what the fan turnout was going to be like. Um, it's pretty well known that fans have um, not always shown up for Tulane events and filling our stadium on campus has been a battle. Even this year it was at times. Uh, and so I, you know, I didn't know what it was going to be like. And then um, we got there and, you know, I started seeing the fans filling things up and 
with where I was positioned in that stadium, I, I was, it's not a great vantage point. Um, but it also didn't allow me to get a full view of how many fans we had there um, until the trophy presentation and the USC fans had cleared out. And then I looked down and I saw how many people were still in that building. And that, that blew my mind. Like, I mean, they, I mean, they announced 55,000 for that game. I would wager Tulane had about 35 of it. Um, and um, just to, to, you know, we heard them. They were definitely the louder of the two fan bases. Um, and then to see just the sheer number of it, uh, that was, uh, again, th- this is a, it's more than just a win in a big bowl game for this school. They've, they've been waiting for something like this for decades. And, and the fans are back here. And that's just like, you can't, you can't put your finger on just how important that is. Yeah. Like you're, like you're saying, um, looking at it, the different vantage points I've seen on Twitter and so forth. Uh, it's really looked, it looked to me as though um, Tulane took Yulman stadium um, in, in terms of numbers to, um, to Arlington. And, um, and it obviously, um, seems so to you as well with that 30, 35,000 number. Yeah. I mean, uh, once I started seeing videos from fans that were in the stands and certain, like, you know, there were reporters that were there and some were on the field, some were in the press box that were filming the, the touchdown overturn. And then they would pan to the crowd and then they kept panning and it was just still people. And then they would pan up and, you know, I couldn't see the upper deck where I was. I was on like the sixth level of that stadium and there's the seventh there. Uh, and then they panned up and you saw more people up there and it just kept going. And, and it didn't. Um, yeah, I mean, far and wide, people came and, and came out of the woodwork and, and, and dusted off the old T-wave and, and, and wore it with pride. And um, it, it was... Uh, it, it's, it's kind of spine tingling. It really is for a, a school that, you know, this has not been on the radar uh, really for decades. And now it, it's uh, things are aligning here and the fans are a big part of it. The fact that they showed out the way that they did, the fact that the passion is back, the interest is back um, is vital for this place. Going back to one thing in the season, how much of a factor do you think or how close do you think Willie Fritz was going to Georgia Tech? Do you think that was that it was close or I know there was that was a little bit of distraction, right? Uh, I was probably at the five yard line from what I've heard. Um, I mean, it hit I, what seemed pretty clear was that Georgia Tech wanted him. Well, wanted him like that was very clear. Um but Georgia Tech wanted him immediately, and Willie Fritz did not was not going to leave before the conference championship game, and that was the that was the deal breaker. Like that that was it. And, and you know Willie Fritz, in my year and a half of knowing him, um, the 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 kindness, the humility, the the dedication that he has towards his players, towards his staff, even towards the radio team. That's not fake. Like, I mean, he's he, what you see is true. Um, and asking him to leave without seeing this team try and finish off a run like this was never going to work for him. And so um, I definitely think had Tulane lost to Cincinnati 
the week before, um, he would be gone. Like, I, I think a lot of people here understand that and said Luke Fickle's gone. Um, but they beat Cincinnati. And then, um, you know, it's not all on Georgia Tech for wanting an immediate hire. That's the way the system's set up and the portal opening quick and the, the signing day in December, which is now the primary one. Like, we, I understand. Um, but Willie Fritz isn't that guy. Willie Fritz isn't chasing money. Uh, he's not chasing um, facilities. He's not chasing ACC. Um, he's, he's, he, he wanted to see this through. Um, and it, what that was, that didn't work for Georgia tech. And so they moved on. Um, and, and so it was, there were some tenuous moments here, no question in the lead up to that game. And I know Willie was very frustrated about everything that was getting out. Um, that's part of the deal. It, it, you know, it's part of the nature of the beast. And, uh, to say it all worked out in the end here at Tulane would be an understatement. No question about it, especially the thing that bothered me about that um, when hearing you say that is the fact that here's a guy who uh, has built a program up, uh, Tulane, um, before I know you were talking about how many bowl games in a row and all that we've talked about that, that Willie Fritz, he's built this amazing program um, at Tulane and Georgia Tech right now is not a better job in my opinion. And people in ACC and Georgia Tech will get mad at me for saying that, but in other words, he's got a program, he's got it going, he's got it rolling, a chance, you know, and he wins a conference championship. He goes to Cotton Bowl, unbelievable game there versus it's a complete rebuild. And then on top of that, um, you've got really tough academic standards. I know it's Lane's hard as well, but you've got Georgia State right there. Uh, uh, and you also in Atlanta. And you also have, oh, by the way, a team playing for the national championship. Um, about an hour down the road. So um, to me personally, I'm glad that he stayed at Tulane for many reasons, but one is for his personal sake that he has, he's got it made at Tulane. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think I would say the, the, the allure of that job was completely understandable. Uh, you know, the, the requirements in terms of academics at Tulane and Georgia tech are pretty comparable. Um, so it's the admission uh, costs, <clears throat> you know, and yeah, Georgia's right down the road <clears throat> from Georgia Tech, but LSU is right down the road from here. Um, and so it's a similar beast um, where you're you're, you're not going to win those recruiting battles with LSU here at Georgia Tech. Maybe you could fight for one or two of the ones that Georgia is sniffing around. Um but, um, you know, the facilities are in a better position there in Atlanta. And that has been the primary focus ever since this flirtation at the end of November about changing things in that regard here um, to ensure that what happened this year is sustainable and that Willie Fritz can be part of it. Um, but, it, you know, when that job first opened, it was pretty early in the year. And that was you know, when that first happened it gave me some pause and that was before this year happened here at Tulane. And then as it kept unfolding, it kept always kind of lurking in the back of my head. Like they still haven't hired anyone over there and it fits what Willie Fritz is as a coach, how he's recruited, what he needs to do to recruit. Um, and, um, and so the fact that they made a push for him was not a shock. Um, the fact that he stayed, that, that doesn't happen in, in these circumstances. Just look at Cincinnati. And so, um, and, and so the, I mean, that decision was, um, 
I mean, it, it, it's, it has kept Tulane on the forward momentum that we've seen this year. And now there's some real honest hope about making this something truly special. Corey, speaking of beasts, uh, Tajay Spears is certainly that. Um, the American Athletic Conference's Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, you, you, ha- you hear that cliche all the time about big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games, and he definitely did that against USC. 17 carries, 205 yards, four touchdowns. And um, with Coach Fritz's prodding, he's made that decision to enter the NFL draft. Yeah, he actually he told me that, and I, I grabbed him on the field post game Monday to do an interview for our show, and he said that in the interview that he was declaring, and I said, "Buddy, we know, like we we like no doubt, like of course you're gonna go." What we didn't know was that it it, it took some convincing for him. He was poised. He was his first call was to come back, and Willie Fritz, you know gently if not forcefully nudged him the other direction he said that there's nothing more you can do here um it's time like it's time for you to do this um you're talking about a kid who had two acl tears already one in high school one in you know three years ago um as a sophomore um he could have come back for i think three years he has that many more years of eligibility um but what we saw especially in the closing stretch of this season that's not you're not topping that you're not going to better yourself personally and where this team got was the ceiling of what they could do this year like you couldn't bring them any further either um now's the time to go and so um you know what stood out to me you know obviously 205 yards and four touchdowns of the cotton ball that that jumped them up around in my mind in the nfl draft but the last four games of the year um, we're all theoretically must wins. However, you feel about the Cotton Bowl, but certainly the three prior to that: SMU at home, on at Cincinnati, and then the conference championship. And he had 120 versus SMU, 180 against Cincinnati, Buck 99 in the conference title game, and then 205 in the Cotton Bowl. Um, you, you, you're that's nailing the dismount. Like that's that's nailing the dismount on your two-lane career and asserting yourself as quite possibly the best to ever do it in a, in the two-lane backfield. Like, there, there's nothing more he could have done. Yeah, and going back to last winter, uh, about this time a year ago, and then and then throughout the spring and summer when we would have you on to talk hoops or then uh, basketball, but touched on a little football, you told us uh, about Tajay Spears, keep an eye on him, keep an eye on him, uh, you know, how he had that explosive, explosive uh, – playmaking ability of a guy like Keaton Mitchell and uh, we saw it from both of them this year yeah I mean his refusal to go down on first contact I think now nationally got recognized Monday Um, but what I think jumped out to me this year was he became an incredible runner between the tackles and that wasn't always his deal it was always finding the edge making a cut trying to get open space but he worked between the track tackles this year. I mean, I think his personal highlight in his time here wasn't anything on Monday. It was in the conference championship game, and he had that the, a sixty-yard, just dazzling run against UCF, in which he just left Knights in his wake. Um, I mean, it, it was otherworldly good, and that started between the tackles, and then he got into open space, and, and it was good night. So 
there's not a lot that he cannot do. And the the one thing that I'm sure NFL scouts will be looking at is the fact that he's not the biggest dude on earth. But boy, it, will he fight through um, bigger guys like he did Monday? There was one of his touchdowns in which three different tackles he just ripped right through um, in a wildcat formation. And so um, th- there's just no quit in that motor of his. And um, yeah, if size is going to concern an NFL scout, and that NFL scout's going to be out of a job. Yeah, Corey, I know that you're at, at Tulane now, but what about the Pirates as far as guys? Are, I think, uh, in fact, uh, Miles Berry declared today, but Keaton Mitchell um, is one uh, great running back. Do you think you've seen him at ECU and obviously at Tulane being the play-by-play voice? Do you think he has a shot at being drafted? I think he has an outside shot at being drafted. I think he'll sign somewhere. I think someone will give him a deal. Um, you can't teach that elusiveness and that speed. And so there's a place somewhere on a roster for him. Um, you know, I saw him this year when he was slightly hampered. And so, oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, week six, I think he had just come back. I think that was his return to the lineup. Um, and so, but I saw him last year and he torches last year. Uh, and so I, you know, there's, there's a, there's a kick return future in him. I think in the NFL, there is maybe something, um, you know, offensively for him, um, might be an uphill battle, but, um, that, that speed, uh, and his elusiveness like that, that plays on Sundays. So I think, I think he's got a shot. I don't know if it's in the draft, but he's definitely got a shot at signing somewhere. Do you feel anything for Holton Aylers as far as being drafted? I think he has an outside shot, but most likely he's going to be in the same boat. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably fair. I mean, the, I think teams will, will salivate over um, his size, but his mobility. Um, and so um, I, I think there's room for him somewhere. I don't know if it's for the draft, though. Um, you know, I, I, he's, I think he's far more accurate than he gets credit for. Um, and he, now he had some, some really incredible skill weapons this year. And I know a ton of them are leaving too. Um, but I, I think, I think just his build, the amount of reps and snaps that he had under his belt there at East Carolina. Um, and the fact that, boy, I mean, he can hurl it. I mean, <laughs> and hurl it pretty accurately. And so um, so I think there's something in there for an NFL team, um, whether it's in a seven-round draft, I don't know. That's that's what I'm thinking, too. Um, as far as with Tulane, do you guys have any more guys that uh, you think have a shot at the draft or will be drafted? Dorian Williams should be drafted, uh, one of our linebackers, and he had 17 tackles Monday in the Cotton Bowl. And – it kind of flies under the radar because nobody played defense in that game. Um, but I mean, he's, he's your prototypical six foot three, two twenty five uh linebacker. He, he's a monster. And so he, he's go, he'll be drafted somewhere. Um, you know, Nick Anderson's going to declare his running mate there in the, in the uh, second level. Um, I think teams will be a little bit wary of his size, but, um, the, there's a there's a position for him somewhere on an NFL roster, whether it's a linebacker, whether it's a fullback, something like that. Um, and that's the hardest working man I've ever seen in my life. 
Um, and then, you know, I, I'll give a shot to Macon Clark, our nickelback, who, as of right now, I don't know if he's actually declared, um, but he's a senior, uh, and so he should go. Um, he's, a, he's a ball hawk, and he, he hits like a linebacker, but he jumps routes like a corner. Um, and so I think there's an outside shot he can get a, a, a pick somewhere. But it's definitely going to be Tajay Spears, definitely going to be Dory Lawrence. As far as uh, Pratt, uh, is he going to be with Tulane? Do you think he goes to the portal? He already said he's returning. Um, yes. okay. There were, um, yeah, he said that before the, before they left for Dallas. Um, there were some Power Five schools um, interested, even though he had never jumped into the portal. And Willie Fritz has made that clear uh, that that uh, did not sit well with him, and he has. Reached out to those coaches personally. He told me that today um, because he had never put his name in the portal, but suddenly coaches were calling him. So um, he is coming back next year. And so that means Tulane will be in a, in a similar spot that ECU was and that they'll have a four-year starting quarterback next year leading the way. And, you know, when you don't have Tajay Spears, uh, to have that uh, stabilization – at your quarterback position. Um, I mean, now, you know, he was already a team captain, but you kind of felt as Tajay went, so went this team this year. Now it is assuredly Michael Pratt's offense next year. And, you know, I, I don't know if he would have returned if our if our center didn't decide to return either. Sincere Hainsworth, they are as tight as can be. They were the two offensive captains. And Sincere Hainsworth went through senior night stuff and then surprised everyone by saying he was coming back. Uh, and so I think I, I think that was part of the, the – there was kind of a, a mutual decision between the two because, the, I mean, those two are, are kind of the heartbeat of this offense. And so, yeah, you lose Tajay Spears. There are a couple guys from the wide receiver room that will go. Um, their top two tight ends are gone uh, after this year. They are seniors, and one's a fifth-year guy. Um, but you have your starting quarterback back, and this will be his fourth year as a starting quarterback. You have your center back. You have most of that offensive line back, um, and they're they're high on what's looming here. And so um, to have Michael Pratt return, um, I think, was a, a sigh of relief to many here in that, all right, like the, the reins are now fully going to be in his hands, and everyone's comfortable with that. Uh, by the way, Craig DeSantis says you can't hear Corey Sustainer's voice without flood or frequency baseball memories pouring in. Uh, you know, I appreciate it. I, it's, uh, you, you know, that uh, those six years were, uh, were something truly special. And without those six years, I, I'm not here. And, you know, Monday doesn't happen uh, for me personally. Now, I, I don't, you know, doing something like calling a game like Monday is – a perk of this job, you know, it, I know I, Tulsa was here last night for basketball and their longtime radio guy, Bruce Howard, he was just picking my brain and wanting to hear about everything because Tulsa hasn't really been on a stage like that in a long time in, in football. Um, and, and he told me how jealous he was of me. And, um, and, and I, and I understand that, like, I, I, I'm probably, I'm not the right person to have called that game in Tulane history and the voices that have come before me here, but it's the opportunity that I had. And, and part of that is because of what I was able to do at East Carolina and, and that 
job got me here, but you know what the 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 joys I get out of this job are you know the the moments you don't hear on the air, the moments that you know when I'm around practice and talking to guys and getting to get to know them as people, and you know it's as fun as it was to call that game, and that's gonna I don't know if that's ever gonna be topped. For me, it was after the game, and and I, you know, I usually go in the locker room to grab interviews while everyone was still milling around in the field. So I was down in the field grabbing interviews and just hugging those some of these guys that I've gotten to know um, as people and and not just as players. Now I had to introduce myself to Alex Bauman, <laughs> who caught the touchdown there at the end because I really hadn't talked to him much throughout the year. Um, but you know you know, finding Tajay Spears and giving him a big hug and, and what, you know, our cornerback Lance Robinson, he and I have gotten to know each other pretty well. And I usually hang out with the special teamers because they're usually weird and I'm weird. And so, you know, finding our kicker who had the biggest extra point in two lane history and, and giving him a giant hug. Like it's stuff like that, that that's what, that's why I love doing this job. And I had that at East Carolina. And the, the reason why maybe some of those calls still etch in minds of people there is because I knew the kids that were down on the field and when they were succeeding, I was happy for them and I wanted them to succeed. And, and so that's why maybe there was some more passion in my calls than, uh, than others. Um, and that's, that's the, that's the, that's the whole shebang for me. It's getting to know everyone here and everyone there in my time there. Um, and I've heard from people in Greenville since Monday, um, and so, you know, I, I'm honored that people still kind of hold what I did there in, in regard. Um, and um, and I, I thank them for still thinking of me that way. No doubt. In fact, they going whatever it was, was like 88-yard uh, TD was awesome. Yeah, I mean, Jaquan Jackson's another one of those guys who I've gotten to know. He was one of the very first ones to actually introduce himself to me when I got here last summer. And he and I grew pretty close last year um, through all the madness of 2021. Um, and, you know, almost every practice he'll come up to me and we'll chat for a little bit. And I, you know, I've, I've gotten to know him quite a bit. And so seeing him have an opportunity like that, make moves like that, hit a second gear like that, that was again, me, that was, that was me knowing him as as Jaquan and not as number four who had the ball down the sideline, uh, and so that was that was me urging him to see it through to the end because I, I know him and, and he's just such a sweet, caring kid um, who has battled a ton of stuff on and off the field uh, to have a moment like that in the biggest game of his life. Mark Callaway says, "Hey, Corey." Hi, Mark. <laughs> Oh, wait, no, I'm supposed to say something else in this regard, right? I'm supposed to say hello. Hello. That's right. Hello. That's right. Um, I'll tell you what, we're, we're going to miss definitely the uh, getting everybody to chime in on Twitter to say hello. Speaking of hello, um, we certainly missed that. And by the way, my understanding, I haven't had a chance to see the baseball team uh, speaking of ECU, but my understanding, the pitching is uh, really stout this year. So I wanted, I don't know if you've heard that, but that's what I've heard. Um, people telling me that the pitching is going to be really good. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, baseball in general is pretty far off my consciousness at the moment um, with what's happened Monday. And now, you know, 
hell, we, we had a basketball game last night. I'm uh, I'm flying out to Philly tomorrow for another basketball game. So now I, I'm very much shifting shifting focus here to the hardwood full time. Um, now I've, I've stopped in the baseball office here uh, today. In fact, I swung in and said hi because I will have to get things going for that here in not too long from now. Um, but uh, but boy, it's um, we're something like 43 days or something crazy like that from baseball and. Um, it both feels like it's happening tomorrow and feels like it's happening eight months from now. So um, that's that's the nature of the beast now in this in, in this role that I have where, you know, at East Carolina, I kind of geared up for baseball. And I was, you know, I had all the, the time to put stuff together for the start of the season. And now it's, you know, I'm calling 40 different games before I even get to baseball there <laughs> here at Tulane, which is great. Like, it, it's not me complaining. I, I love the fact that I can be a part of three different programs here and call three different sports and kind of spread my wings like this um for my career um but yeah baseball is uh um you know i, I haven't you know the, the, the preseason number one team in the uh conference they that that is uh, a no-brainer um regardless of who's back and who's not um it, it's theirs until someone proves otherwise. And so like uh, wh whatever happens with East Carolina, uh, I, nothing would shock me about what happens with pirate baseball moving forward. All right. Justin, All right, Justin. how much it will take for Corey to come back after the voice retires? You know, NIL Melanie is one thing. I, I think it's just a salary thing that we, need, that we need to talk about. No, listen, like, um, I believe the voice was called his 1,000th basketball game last night. Um, and and Jeff Charles has been just incredible to me since I first stepped foot in Greenville. And to now, I, I, I heard from him earlier this week. Um, and um, listen, like, I, I love where I am here. And it's not just the high of a Cotton Bowl win, but it's the, the relationships that I've been able to build here and the people I've gotten to know here. Um, and so like, I, I am, I, I'm very, very happy here. And um, they've given me this chance to be their voice and hopefully I'm doing right by them uh, because I'm enjoying the hell out of it. And so, um, so I, you know, I, I, I can't tell you, I can't give you anything, Justin, on that because uh, where, where I am, I'm very, very content. And I know, I know that how you feel. Um, speaking of uh, New Orleans, give us some restaurants, some things to do. In fact, I have a, um, she would actually be my second cousin. I saw today works uh, there at the World War II Museum. So oh, yeah. time, I haven't been, but I've heard a lot of people talk about that. Well, are you coming down? Are you no, visiting? I, no, I, I want to. Obviously, I love New Orleans. It's one of my favorite cities. I've been there twice, but uh, restaurant wise, uh, culture wise, uh, can you give us a couple things and we'll get out of here? Well, tomorrow is carnival. It's the start of carnival, which means king cake is back at the menu starting tomorrow and everyone will have that. And then the crawfish are back now. Um, and so everywhere you go, we'll have crawfish boils. And so tomorrow is really the first day of parades here. And so like now would be the time to come down. It's really going to get crazy in February. Um, but, you know, I, I will always direct people to uh, places like Parkway Bakery for a po' boy or um, Frankie and Johnny's for kind of a dive bar that has gumbo and jambalaya and po' boys and, and they'll have crawfish and oysters and 
Um, Drago's has the best char-grilled oysters I've ever had, but um, Neo's uh, Creole Cafe is a favorite of mine, not too far from where I live. Blue Oak Barbecue. I, listen, I, I know I'm telling North Carolinians about barbecue, but it's it's special uh, at Blue Oak. Um, and then, like, listen, you can stumble into places downtown and get incredible food here. So, um, so yeah, if anyone wants a wreck, just let me know. But now's the time to start working down here because it's about to get really fun here. No doubt. Uh, two more things and we'll get out of here. Justin says, still love and miss you on the baseball broadcast. And uh, Craig Doucette, Craig's a new friend of ours also. For the very reasons you love your job, we love having you. Your um, your passion and connection to the program shines through. Well, thank you, Craig. I mean, it's like I said before, like, you know, when I first chatted with Cliff Godwin, when I, when I first got the job in, in Greenville, I told him the same thing that I told the coaches and the staff here when I was interviewing last summer for this job and that I, I wanted to be part of the team and not just as a, you know, a, you know, mid 30 year old man that's trying to cling to some youth. But I feel as though how I call a game uh, is, is influenced by how much I know these kids and these coaches and again, not as players or as coaches, but as people. And, so when when Michael Pratt throws the biggest touchdown of his life Monday, and I know Michael, like it's it's um, that's how the emotion comes out. It's not because they're just wearing Alvin Blue; it's because I know him, and, and uh, that was my goal at East Carolina too. And you know, I got to know so many of those guys over my six seasons there, um, and th- those are. Like the, those are the relationships that you, you keep moving forward with. I still talk to a handful of those guys, um, you know, and, and now I'm, I'm hopefully trying to do that here. And um, it's uh, uh, that's the way I, I approach this business, how I do this. Everyone has their own ways of doing it. For me, it's um, if I know them personally, then my call will hopefully exhibit that and how happy I am or how sad I am or how disappointed I am at times uh, about when things aren't going right. Um, hopefully I'm still calling an accurate game and it makes sense when I call it, you know, when a game's going to end on a lateral, you just hope to God you don't blow it. Um, and, uh, but hopefully the emotions there to capture some of those moments as well. That That's my goal. Every time I put a headset on um, and, you know, whether I did right by the moment Monday for the Cotton Bowl, um, that's not for me to judge. I'm, I'm proud of the work that we did, just like I'm proud of the work that I was able to do with, with Coach O in, in six years in Greenville. Um, because it's uh, it means the world to me to make sure that these broadcasts are um, are special for the people who take such time and care to listen to them. Corey, thank you so much for your time. We, uh, both Bubba and I, we were so happy for you. Obviously, I know it's just not about you, the fans and coach Fritz that we like so much. And But as a friend, we were so happy being that I'm a broadcasting nerd. I can't imagine. My nerves were, uh, I think, even more for uh, maybe for you because I was like, I want this game so bad for him because he's in such a big moment. 
And then I was thinking, well, I know he's the announcer and there's the football game going on, but um, those of us that, you know, do broadcasting, we know how big a deal that that was and from that perspective, not to mention what was happening on the field. So congratulations. I'm glad that you got that moment. I'm really proud of what you're doing down there. We miss you a lot, like we were saying, um, but really proud of what you're doing down there. And um, I see we'll have you back. We play you guys at New Orleans, February 11th. So if there's any Pirate fans that want to travel down there, look out for Corey Glory. He'll take care of you. I'm sure the touring guide of New Orleans, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, February 11th. That means that is heart of uh, that is heart of parade season too. So come on, that's the week before. It's like a week and a half before Fat Tuesday, and so it, it's going to be it's going to be bonkers here. So that's that's the time to come down. And if you are coming down, please let me know. All right. Well, we'll let you get back to working for your big game. Uh, I guess you have the Temple game. Is that this weekend? Yeah, Temple this Saturday up in uh, Philadelphia. You guys just saw them. They're they're not they're an odd team, but they keep winning here all of a sudden. So, uh, and we had, we had three battles of them last year, and every single one of them was incredible. So I'm looking forward to it. Just just like Bubba, got to get this voice back <laughs> to uh, to 100 because it doesn't stop in this industry. No, it doesn't. No doubt about it. And Bubba, yeah, you want to chime in? Uh, uh, I was just going to agree with what Coy is saying. Um, no doubt. Uh, I don't know how they do it, especially showing excitement like he did uh, in that game against USC. And um, obviously, I, it's very difficult in my field as well, Corey. Uh, when you're an elementary PE teacher and don't have a voice, that's a problem. Today I had to break out the microphone. I guess I need to do that more often. Oh, yeah. Like, just put movies on. Like, it's fine. Like, just. <laughs> Let, let him watch Glass Onion or something. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh, man. And if you get a chance, see Puss in Boots. Uh, for those of you that uh, saw that on Sunday, it was very make your kinder Make your kindergartners or, or uh, yeah, I think, uh, make your kids watch White Lotus. That your parent, Those parents will love you for that. <laughs> I'll have to check that. I don't know what that is. So I'll have to, uh, You're more of a uh, – I think that I'm a movie nerd and then I meet, uh, talk to Corey Glore. So uh, best of luck to you, my friend. We'll be talking to you soon. Happy New Year. Oh, yeah. Uh, rest the voice, and we look forward to your call very soon. Thank you, boys. Always fun jumping on with you. I appreciate all the kind things, even though I, I don't take compliments well. But I, I appreciate it uh, immensely, and I'll look forward to joining you soon again. All right. Have a good night, my friend. See ya. See you later. Bye-bye. Right, Great to have Corey on with us, and uh, certainly we're about to get out of here as well. And uh, – Look at that. Look at Craig. Break, break out the old TV cart. <laughs> uh, whenever you need the uh, the last. Yeah, that, that was a great feeling, wasn't it, Craig? When you when you got the class and, you know, whether it was with the substitute or with your normal teacher and uh, you saw the you saw the teacher, the sub rolling that, that uh, TV cart in. Uh, yes, uh, it's, it's going to be a great day. We don't have to read from a textbook. Uh, we, we can watch a movie. Yeah, speaking of which, when uh, growing up, um, obviously my pre-pirate days, one of the highlights was the ACC tournament, and they rolled that TV card in Friday of the tournament. There's only eight teams back then, and uh, the great part of the ACC. But anyway, um, that was a happy moment. You're talking about TV card. Uh, I was one of those kids that saw the Challenger blow up live on television. I was in science class when that happened, unfortunately. So um, I have great memories of a TV card and also have a bad memory of thinking it's going to be a cool moment when you're a kid and you love NASA and space, and I still do, um, and to have that happen. So, yeah, I'll break out the TV card. 
I can, I can uh, live with that both ways, but certainly, you know, something good's going to happen like a movie or it's going to be a diversion from just a teacher standing up talking in front of a classroom. So no doubt about it. And uh, we're going to get out of here. Hopefully uh, we'll have more, um, we'll have more talk about certainly um, next week or more uh, with some of the guys going, maybe Keaton or uh, certain people we can talk about him, maybe some of the coaches, but certainly with NFL coming up and we'll have uh, plenty of time to talk about that. Um, next week and beyond. I want to thank Bubba for setting up tonight's show. As always, my friend, uh, rest your voice too, dude. Uh, I didn't realize it was, uh, I knew your voice was that you said you lost your voice. I didn't know it was that bad, but I know the feeling for sure. I want to thank all our great sponsors, LNK Custom Homes. I want to thank Porky's Backyard Barbecue, as we're still thinking about uh, Terry Holiday, one of the owners. He and his brother Mark own it. He passed away on the 28th. The morning, a few hours after we won the bowl game, he passed away. So I uh, appreciate their support of the program and thinking about the Holiday family and everybody at Porky's and obviously PGXGloves.com. Mark Menikazi, want to thank him for all his support of the program for like three or four years now. I think three years. So appreciate him very much as well for his time with ECU Baseball. And don't forget, Put in the promo code ECU, you get 25% all products. In fact, I got to order some more stuff for my kids. So Bubba, thank you for putting that up on the screen for those watching live or archived. And uh, don't forget one more thing. Don't forget to join and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We have got uh, over 250, Bubba is the statsman, over 250 new subscribers just last year alone. Um, Bubba works really hard on the YouTube channel. He and I talked about five years ago about having a real successful YouTube channel, something I wanted. And he took the ball and ran with it, Bubba, amongst many things here on the show. Bubba, I want to give you a shout out for that. And we had a lot of great stats. I want to thank Pirate Nation and, and beyond for all the support they give in the show as well. Yeah, 250 new subscribers and uh, well over 700 now. Uh, and um, right around um, in 2022, nearly 7,000 watch hours. Uh, so really appreciate everyone's support. And uh, if maybe you watch and you haven't subscribed yet or, you know, a pirate fan uh, that would enjoy some of our content um, and subscribing to our channel, please share the channel with them. Uh, and then, hey, Dave, it's hard to believe, but uh, I think what tomorrow uh, will mark six weeks from opening day for East Carolina baseball um, February 17th when the George Washington uh, Colonials uh, uh, roll into town. I believe they still use that nickname. I knew uh, I know some teams have dropped that nickname uh, so they may have act they may actually be going by something else now um, because of the age in which we live but um, George Washington will will roll into Clark LeClaire Stadium February 17th, 18th and 19th, four o'clock, two o'clock and one o'clock. And um, and then, of course, who do the Pirates play in that first midweek game? None other than the Campbell Camels in Bowie's Creek. Yeah, you know how much Justin Hare is a great coach, but he's been very good to us when we have our look around the state of North Carolina. I think there's 17 programs since Central dropped baseball. I think it was 18, but now it's 17. But anyway, um, he's always been very good to us. It's going to be a great season. Get your tickets, by the way. Um, I don't know if they have any more. Do you know if they have any? I need to reach out to Coleman. I forgot uh, last week, but do they have any more East uh, tickets in the jungle? I, I don't know. We'll have to ask him. Yeah. I don't, I, season tickets, as far as I know, um, 
they um, were still jungle tickets available, but um, yeah. probably not a whole lot of them. And then obviously they had to hold tickets for single game sales. Um, so last year, I want to say it was what, 21, 2200, somewhere in there at least that we sold. And um, we'll surely yeah. be right around that again. Um, the, the baseball banquet sold out in no time. So the only way you're going to be able to attend that is if you know someone that cannot attend that's already purchased tickets. Uh, that's such a you know, hot, hot ticket. It's sold out in, what, seven or eight hours. Yeah, by the way, I'm already seeing – I told you that I'm a, a geek when it comes to uh, the different secondary markets, but the future GW Hippos. <laughs> JR, <laughs> leave it to JR, Craig, uh, Justin. We got Mark Holloway. Uh, we got a lot of people that – uh, tune in just about every show. We appreciate it. They're on more than us. But anyway, <laughs> um, i tell you what. I saw um, today they already have tickets up there. If you want to go to that North Carolina game, um, the secondary market, had they were not too expensive um, considering that big rivalry. But I saw even that, Bubba, um, that you can get tickets for, for those games. In fact, um, it was for the Greenville games. I can't remember if it was Friday or Saturday because they're doing the – two games uh, in Greenville, and then the Sunday game will be at Boschmer Stadium there in um, at, uh, at UNC. So, um, but if you get a chance, there you go, GW Hippos. All right. I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, my Obviously a very random uh, nickname, but it, it and definitely very unique as well with a lot of <clears throat> minor league baseball-like marketing opportunities. No doubt. And uh, my daughter will definitely uh, please put that off the screen if my daughter is watching because she'll make me buy a GW <laughs> hippos uh, stuffed animal. I'm just kidding. She's a she's a girl and a little eight year old girl that loves stuffed animals. That's the one thing of her toys I don't get rid of and I need to. All right, Bubba, we're going to get out of here. Thanks so much for everybody. Thanks to Ted Party, Corey Glore. Thanks to all of you listening and watching. Bubba, thank you so much for behind the scenes. Want to give a shout out to our very own Kyle from the Grange Barber. I know he's a little bit under the weather, um, but we hope he feels better. And um, I think Matt had a really tough day at the office, and uh, he's been working hard with his job. He, he's awesome too. We miss him, but glad to have Bubba aboard. We'll get out of here. And before we let you go, we want to remind everybody to get your tickets once again ecupirates.com. One more thing football tickets, no surprise, go on sale February 1st. I want to mention that before we get out of here. All right. Good night, everybody. And as always, Go Pirates! Down, every touchdown with the cannons blast. Get it on, get it all, get the wave going like the hurricane.